are White House efforts to disrupt ransomware bearing fruit? And what's the threat posed by a zero-click iMessage flaw just patched by Apple? These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Is there any end to the ransomware scourge in sight? Ransomware-wielding attackers continue to pummel businesses, government agencies, healthcare sector entities, and more. President Biden, over the summer, spoke with President Vladimir Putin of Russia and told him, in no uncertain terms, that unless he cracked down on cyber criminals operating from inside Russia's borders, the U.S. reserved the right to go after them instead. At the time, experts said it could take six months or more to see if Biden's attempt to crack down on ransomware would have an effect. Several months later, where are we? To discuss, I'm joined by Scott Ferguson, Managing Editor for GovInfo Security. Scott, what's the latest? Well, one thing that did come out in the last week or so, Matt, Chris Inglis, who is the National Cyber Director, the new position that they have in the White House, was asked about this at an event um, in Washington, D.C. He said it was too soon to tell if behavior has changed, you know, Russian behavior, whether it's the government side or the cyber criminals or that netherworld in between where they sort of may mix a bit. So he said it was too soon to tell, really, if there was changes there. But he did note that, at least anecdotally, there seems to be less of these like large-scale attacks that they're seeing, but that doesn't prove that ransomware stopped. And as you know, if you're attacked by ransomware, it's major. Just because they're not hitting Colonial Pipeline, they're not hitting JPS, they're not hitting Kaseya, doesn't mean it's not important. And even over the holiday weekend, we saw Howard University where there was an attempt there, and they had to recover a little bit of their systems from that. But Inglis said, we're seeing at least a slowdown. He also made reference Ann Newberger held a on-the-record press conference just before the Labor Day holiday to sort of warn people that something might happen. We know things happen over the holiday weekend. And what Chris Inglis had said is we, we saw that the holiday weekend passed without a major incident. Again, you know, maybe everybody's on alert, so they decided to wait and change their tactics, which wouldn't be surprising. But I think, you know, he was, I don't want to say cautiously optimistic, but he said, I think they're, they're monitoring the situation. They're seeing if what was said during that summit is actually holding water with how these organizations work within Russia. And I know you're writing a little bit about what some of the FBI and and and, and other NSA officials had said as well. Definitely. We had a conference this week, the National Security Summit in Maryland, and the FBI's deputy director said there'd been no indication that the Russian government has been doing anything to stop these types of attacks. So apparently, the Justice Department has been passing Russian officials specific details of individuals that they believe are engaged in this kind of criminality and hoping that Russian law enforcement will take this forward by investigating these individuals themselves, hopefully gathering evidence and maybe starting to crack down. But unfortunately, FBI Deputy Director Paul Abadi said that they've asked for help and they've asked for cooperation, but so far they've seen no action. So he said, nothing's changed in that regard. Now, this doesn't mean that it might not change in that regard, but I know a lot of security experts aren't exactly holding their breath 
that Moscow is suddenly going to come through for us on this front. Well, Matt, to take that a step further, you know, General Nakasone with NSA and Cyber Command also gave some comments to the AP this week about their cyber capabilities and about keeping an eye on this ransomware as well. So at least from the U.S. point of view, we seem to be ramping up some of our defenses on a larger scale to address some of the ransomware issues. So maybe that's why we've seen maybe a little bit of a drop off. But again, as you mentioned, it's kind of hard to tell. And, and when Inglis was talking too, they obviously asked him the payment question. And he said, you know, the U.S. didn't want to hold payments against companies that make it in the heat of the moment. But we have to also address issues of, you know, does that encourage these ransomware attacks to happen? And Chris's big push that he's been making has been about resiliency, creating more resilient systems. He seems to be saying these attacks will happen. Are you prepared to bounce back, having good backups, deploying systems that can be regenerated after an attack and can keep your business going or keep that federal agency going? That seems to be where Chris is taking his particular office to address these ransomware issues as we go forward. So you have offense on one side, or at least quasi-offense from the NSA and Cyber Command on one side, but I think Chris is working on the defensive side of it to kind of build that up. And then you have Ann Newberger at the National Security Council. She's sort of leading the diplomacy part of it and trying to get that done. So there are things in motion, even if we haven't seen direct results yet. Excellent points, especially focusing on resiliency, since that is something that any given organization can do before they potentially get targeted, before the NSA potentially attempts a reprisal. Thank you so much, Scott. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Next up, Apple this week issued a security update that experts recommend all users install immediately. Here's ISMG's Jeremy Kirk with more. Apple issued an emergency patch on Monday for a software vulnerability that researchers say was used to deliver spyware through iMessage. The findings come from researchers at the Citizen Lab at the University of Toronto. They say they uncovered evidence that the vulnerability was exploited to deliver the Pegasus spyware to a Saudi activist and several activists in Bahrain. Pegasus is made by the NSO Group, which is an Israeli company that has been accused of selling its powerful spyware to governments that abuse it. Researchers allege it has been turned on journalists, activists, and others rather than criminals. The vulnerability was an integer overflow in Apple's core graphics library. That software helps display different types of file formats that may be sent through iMessage. This exploit is nicknamed Forced Entry. It was particularly potent because it requires no interaction from a victim who is targeted. These are sometimes referred to as zero-click exploits and are among the most valuable and powerful ways to compromise a device. While the software flaw has been patched, the exploit has a couple of other tricks that are puzzling experts. Trend Micro says the exploit somehow bypasses a security feature called pointer authentication code and also disables address space layout randomization on iOS. 
But stepping back a bit, there are broad issues affecting messaging applications like iMessage. First, they have huge attack surfaces. That's in part because they accommodate everything from emojis to Photoshop and PDF file formats. Patrick Wardle is a security researcher who focuses on Apple. He says that complexity has made iMessage too easy to exploit. Also, he says iMessage is just a perfect routing mechanism for attackers, as you just need to know someone's phone number. Here's Patrick Wardle iMessage is such a great distribution mechanism, exploit infection vector. <laughs> like, like, I will route your exploit anywhere in the world to the target for you using end-to-end encryption. Just like, what more, as an attacker, what more do you ask for? There's one surefire option to Nick's exploits delivered through iMessage. Turn it off and deregister an iMessage account. But that's a terrible trade-off between usability and security since there's no usability. Switching to another messaging platform doesn't necessarily increase safety either. Two years ago, the Pegasus spyware was forcibly installed on devices using a vulnerability in Facebook's WhatsApp, and other messengers such as Signal could share similar risks. Two years ago, the Pegasus spyware was forcibly installed on devices using a vulnerability in Facebook's WhatsApp, and other messengers such as Signal could share similar risks. Wordle says there are ways Apple could reduce the application's attack surface, though. Apple could introduce a feature in iMessage that turns off compatibility for all file formats and only allows text. That means not opening PDFs or dodgy Photoshop content, which is what made up some of the forced entry exploit. Those kind of security customizations have long been around in the browser world. Like, for example, you can turn off JavaScript or Adobe's bug-riddled Flash Player. Here's Patrick again. There's a lot of third-party plugin, plugins and extensions that really allow you to still use the browser, but, you know, really reduce the tax surface, which is great because that just makes, you know, some very large percentage of exploits just not even uh, applicable anymore. Messaging platforms are always adding new features to attract new users, but ironically, maybe the ability to shut off features would benefit users at high risk of surveillance. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. This week, ISMG held its annual London Cybersecurity and Fraud Summit. Appearing on the virtual stage was Detective Chief Superintendent Andy Gould. He's the Cybercrime Program Lead for Britain's National Police Chiefs Council. The council coordinates the response of what are about four dozen different police forces across the UK, responding to ransomware attacks, as well as liaising with businesses to improve their cybersecurity defenses, continue to be top law enforcement priorities. But Andy says one frequent shortcoming for businesses is having robust backups stored offline and regularly tested to see if they work or not. Another challenge he highlighted is having well-rehearsed incident response plans in place before any incident occurs, and especially when that incident involves cybersecurity. Here's Andy. I think often people will shy away from coming up with a cyber incident response plan because they may be nervous or don't have the confidence or don't feel they understand cyber so kind of hope it will never happen to them but a cyber incident ransomware incident it's no different to any other crisis or disaster you've got to manage you need that plan have you know have you exercised it have you tested it in this scenario you'd be thinking how would you rebuild your networks and systems are you going to pay but actually stepping back before you get into all of that detail the key things to think about in any crisis and any crisis response are the basics command and control who's in charge What's the plan? 
what's the strategy need to be? So to have an effective plan, you need to understand what your biggest risks are. So what are your biggest priorities? What do you need to restore first? What's the most valuable to you and what causes you the most danger and disruption as an organization? Because those are the areas that you need to focus your finite limited resources on getting back to business as usual or protecting as quickly as possible. So the plan needs to cover that. Little things are actually really important things. So can you access the plan offline? Can you access each other offline? If you're all planning on on kind of going into the office and downloading the plan and, and you know, you can't get in because you can't get access to anything or you can't pick up the phone and access your directory of contacts because it's all encrypted, how on earth are you going to manage that response even if you know that? So communication is critical. What are your key messages and to which groups for who? And how are you going to communicate in that crisis? And who's going to be responsible for that briefing material that you're going to be communicating out? So people in this moment of crisis are going to really understand what their role is and what's expected of them as an organisation. Bearing in mind, think of the morale and your welfare of your staff as well, which often comes at the bottom of a crisis. There are going to be some really worried people trying to respond to this that think because there's been this compromise and disaster, are they going to be out of a job at the end of this once we get back to business as usual? People are going to be feeling very personally compromised and upset as well as professionally compromised and that needs managing as well and resilience you're going to be running it 24 7 to try and get back to business as usual as quickly as possible don't break your key people ideally don't break any people but how are you going to staff a 24 7 response if that's what you need to do you can't manage that if your key players have worked themselves into the ground because they'll make mistakes through no fault of their own how are you going to record those key decisions as well We talk in policing a lot about recording decisions. We use decision logs for good reason. You can capture a decision. You'll be making hundreds, if not thousands, of decisions very quickly. You can capture them in some kind of running log, and it's important that somebody's capturing these key decisions as you go through. But actually remembering why you've made that decision is really important as well. That rationale, the why, the benefits, the risks, how you discounted some and decided on others based on the information that you knew at the time. In hindsight, a decision might look terrible. But on the basis of the information you knew at the time, it might have been perfectly reasonable and sensible. Well, you need to capture what you knew at the time if you're going to be you know, ending up in some kind of external regulatory scrutiny or business scrutiny or scrutiny from kind of key customers and clients. That rationale is going to be really, really important. Who do you inform? Do you have to inform the Information Commission's office, customers, shareholders? Are you going to get law enforcement involved? How are we going to manage a potential extortion or ransom demand? Are we going to negotiate? These are really big policy decisions for instant response, which ideally you want all the key players to know each other, have met before and discussed these issues before they're going to be thrown into this moment of crisis to try and respond to them. Finally, who doesn't think passwords are the pits? Well, Microsoft says it's high time for users to ditch their passwords if they want to. While Windows 10 already offers some passwordless access features, Microsoft says that all users, business or consumer, can now go passwordless. Use the Microsoft Authenticator app, the Windows Hello security feature, a security key, or have a verification code get sent to your phone or email. And you too can sign into Windows apps and services, mostly without a password. Could the long-heralded death of passwords finally be upon us? That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Catch you next time.